Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning once again. It's good to be here. Today, as we uh, open the Word, we're turning to Romans chapter 8. I invite you to turn there uh, at this time, either if you have your Bibles or if you have a device uh, this morning. Turning to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12 and reading through verse 17 this morning. Out of respect for the reading of God's Word, those who are willing and able, would you please stand as we read Scripture today? Reading from the Epistle of Romans. So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it isn't an obligation to ourselves to live our lives on the basis of selfishness. If you live on the basis of selfishness, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the actions of the body, you will live. All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back again into fear, but you received a spirit that shows you are adopted as his children. With this spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. But if we are children, we are also heirs. We are God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ if we really suffer with him so that we can also be glorified with him. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, as you've heard, uh, this, this week is uh, Trinity Sunday today. There was a theme in, in much of our, our worship music today. You heard about the Father. You heard about the Son. You heard about the Holy Spirit. This is in the church calendar, the transition to what's called um, common time or, or ordinary time. Uh, and it immediately follows Pentecost Sunday. Last week was Pentecost Sunday, uh, the celebration of the, of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, but th- then we have Trinity Sunday, which is the first Sunday after Pentecost, which carries us through all the way through to Christ the King Sunday, the end of the church calendar year, whereby we'll again enter into the season of Advent, where we expect the coming of Jesus Christ. Um, and that's a long ways off. We, we're not ready to start thinking about Christmas yet. Summer just started, right? Uh, hold on, preacher man. Don't, don't take us too fast. But this season of, of common time, this season of ordinary time, uh, takes us through this long arc journey, um, through the summer months and through the fall months. Um, and it's marked at the beginning by this Sunday, Trinity Sunday. Now, the passage that we read from Romans chapter 8 um, kind of gets theology nerds a little hyper, gets, gets them a little excited, um, and for a particular reason. It mentions all three 
persons of the Trinity. If you take a look at Romans chapter 8, from starting in verse 1 through verse 17, it's, it's the most densely mentioned portion of Scripture that talks about the Holy Spirit. But even in the passage that we read, we also talk, it also talks about God the Father uh, and God the Son, Jesus Christ. Why is this a big deal? Uh, well, it, it's a big deal for a number of reasons, but uh, this idea of, of the Trinity was not really well established by the time that the writers of the Bible wrote their, their epistles. Romans is um, dated by most scholars probably in the mid to late 50s, okay, in that first century, um, and, and certainly the church had not gotten used to how they're going to talk about it. There were no creeds that had been adopted, um, little church history here, um, Christianity in the, in the Roman Empire, before it became the Holy Roman Empire, uh, was kind of an underground movement, kind of something that had to be, had to be hidden. You had to, had to be careful about who knew because you could be persecuted even to the point of death um, if you were a follower of Jesus. Now, year about 312, um, the, the Roman emperor Constantine says, well, maybe the, the well, there, there's a lot of speculation, okay? Uh, he said that he saw a vision of a cross, and the, in the vision he heard this voice uh, and said, by this sign you will conquer. And so then he goes out and wins a battle. Well, the, the tradition holds that he, they had the crosses etched on the shields of all the soldiers. They go out to win the battle. And all of a sudden, all of the Roman Empire is now Christian because he says so right? Because that's how that works. Um, and, and then it becomes the Holy Roman Empire, okay? But by 325, since it was now the official religion of the Roman Empire, they had to figure out what they were going to say. And so by the year about 325, a council of church leaders got together and, and started to, to put together, how do we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Are, there, are these different entities? Are these the same God? Are these different gods? How do, we, how do we talk about it? And we don't have time to get into all of that, but, but it's texts like these that help to shape and to define the creeds that came out of those official councils that came in the early years of, of the Christian religion. It's the perfect text for today, for, for Trinity Sunday. And really, in fact, the whole of, of Romans 8, there's, there's evidence of this interdependent relationship between Father and Christ and Holy Spirit. I wish I could give you like the five-minute rundown on how the Trinity works. <laughs> if you know the five-minute rundown, we're going to invite you as a guest speaker, and then you can write a book, and you'll be famous and rich. Um, because we just don't understand we just don't understand how, how Trinity works and how, how the inter, interrelationship between Father, Son, and Spirit takes part. There's an element of mystery to that, for which I say praise the Lord. Right? We just don't figure it all out. It's called faith for a reason, I think. Um, but we know that there's this mutuality between the persons of, of the Trinity, this, this self-giving um, and, and interaction that we read about. And, and it's a beautiful picture of how you and I are meant for relationship. As we're made in God's image, that we um, are meant to care for one another. We're meant to journey with one another. We're meant to be with one another. 
Um, and undoubtedly, this, this text that we read, um, uh, the, because of the mention of all the different persons uh, of the Trinity, uh, it was a factor in it being selected for the texts in the lectionary for today. But the Spirit really takes center stage in chapter 8. I talked about how it's, it's probably the most densely um, concentrated uh, scriptures about the Holy Spirit in, in all of the scriptures. Um, and in the, in the Common English Bible that we read, it says, we're set free by the Spirit. The heading of, of chapter 8 says, set free by the Spirit. Um, in the NIV, it says, life through the Spirit. Paul begins to ask, what is life controlled by the Spirit? What does it look like to, to live with the Spirit? We, we talked about last Sunday how the Spirit came they were, they were gathered in the house and a mountain home wind blew through the house and shook the place where they were and, and the Spirit descended on them like tongues of fire. And the writers of the New Testament are, are trying to figure out what does this life now look like? We've received the Holy Spirit. This is probably no more than 20 or 30 years past that event of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they're trying to figure out and... and understand what life with the Spirit looks like. We know in, in another place Paul talks about how uh, when, when a person is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. It says the old has gone, the new has come, but they were still figuring it out, still trying to understand what it means to live with the Spirit. And Paul's been talking about this, this new creation life even before the portion that we read, verses 9 through 11. He is talking about the Spirit being in control of the life of the believer. He says this, If the Spirit of the One, the Spirit of the One who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you, if the Spirit of God is in you, the One who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your human bodies also. We are new creations. How? Through his spirit who lives in you. Even Paul in this early stage of writing to the church in Rome understood the spirit comes inside of us and makes us new creation. Praise God. Is that good news? That's good news today for us. As we start with today's text, we start with this idea of an obligation uh, but, but, but Paul is doing a little bit of contrasting here, uh, a negative definition, right? Do you know what a negative de definition is? It's trying to define something by telling somebody what is not true, what the, the characteristics that it does not have. He does this a little bit with life in the Spirit. There's this competing agent in, in chapter 8 to life in the Spirit, um, and the, and the original word in the Greek is called sarx, S-A-R-X. You don't have to remember that, um, sarx. But in the NIV, it was translated flesh. If you have the NIV Bible in front of you, it talked about flesh a lot in this chapter. In, this, in the common English that we read, it, it translates its selfishness. Now, how do those align? How do those align, the, the word flesh and the word selfishness. All of chapter 8 focuses on this, uh, this contrast and this back and forth between life in the Spirit and life in sarks. Well, I think that the, the word flesh um, uh, can, can sometimes 
have this negative connotation for us. And a lot of it is because this word sarks has been translated flesh. People end up saying, I, this flesh is what, what binds me. This flesh is what drags me down. And, and that's kind of a common, common habit for people um, in the church, that the flesh equals bad stuff. Um, our theological tradition, the Wesleyan tradition, kind of views the flesh as, as God's intention, and that we are on this journey of restoring this flesh to the image of God that was created for us. We go back to Genesis chapter 1, and it says, God put his spirit and his image into us, and we believe we're on a journey of, of restoration, becoming what God had intended for us all along, and that this human body, this flesh that we find ourselves in, is not bad. It's not the, the fleshliness of flesh, but, but this word sarks comes to focus on the appetites and the ambitions which nurture pride and self-centeredness. I got that from, from James, James Dunn, one of the, the commentators I read this, this week, that, that this sarks, this fleshliness that, that battles against the spirit for control of our lives, really when it's boiled down, says the appetites and ambitions which nurture pride and self-centeredness. This is why when we read in the Common English Bible, it gets away from this idea of flesh, that the, the flesh isn't the problem. But it's the appetites and the desires that, that come with it. And so they translate it selfishness. The point here is clear. Is, is Paul says we don't have to live this way. That there's an alternative to living life dominated by this selfishness, by this sarks that he talks about. We're not indebted to, to selfishness. We, don't, we, don't, we aren't controlled by sarks in our lives. We aren't controlled by the appetites of the body and of this world. We have no obligation there to use the word that we read. In fact, we have the obligation to not live that way. That the Spirit of, of God who comes into us allows us then to put to death, to walk away, to let it go, to quote a Disney movie, um, to have nothing to do with it anymore. We don't have to live according to sarks, to those appetites and to those desires that come with being persons. Instead, the full life is found where? In the life of the Spirit. In allowing our body and allowing our person, our whole selves, to be led by the Spirit. And in our theological tradition, we say we can do that. That the Spirit empowers us to do that. That we can honor Christ with our bodies, despite our appetites, despite our ambitions. Then Paul transitions. Instead of the Spirit being the non-sarks in, in this chapter, he moves to correlations between living life in the Spirit and being a child of God. And this is where it gets really good for us. This is where it gets really exciting. For, the, for those who, who live by the Spirit, 
And the, and the, the intonation in the Greek says that in that relationship between us and spirit, that we're the passive ones. That we're being led by the spirit. The spirit is the one who is moving in front of us and calling us and, and drawing us and leading us forward into the places where God is. It's a, it's a passive verb for us. For the Spirit is the one that's moving. For those who live by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, as he is talking about, are welcomed as sons and daughters of God. Contrasted with the spirit of slavery, that's how Sarks works, that we become obligated and indebted and enslaved by those appetites. That's how even sometimes the law of Israel had been enforced and had had become a culture in the Jewish people that that they were bound by all these rules and they had to figure it out. And it was was so extensive, it's so impossible. The Pharisees were like, well, we spend all our time figuring out what this law means and living this way. And they were bound, enslaved. We are not bound in the Spirit of God. We're not bound by the Spirit of God, but we are set free. Instead, Paul uses the imagery of adoption. Now, adoption has a a special place in our family um, and for, for our our little tribe, we have adopted three children in, in our family. They're actually the three that got to come up here for, for Adriana's message this morning. How I remember those days. Gathering, uh, gathering of the family at the courthouse. My kids wanted to get up in the jury box. <laughs> the judge let them. They uh, got to sit in these seats. Um, the statement of the judge, the questions directed to me about who these lives were, what my relationship with them would be, and questions to the kids as well. In Rome, adoption was this, this powerful image, this powerful uh, statement. Um, Barclay describes a symbolic ceremony that was repeated three times. Okay, so three times the family of origin would, would sell the child to the adopting family. And yet the first two times uh, that, that, that the father or, or the, the patriarch of that family would buy the child back. And then the third time they would, they would sell them. Saying, is this truly what you want? Is this truly a lifelong commitment? And after this third time, this familial bond would then formally, legally, actually be transferred. This child was no longer part of its family of origin, but then adopted into this family, formally, legally, and bindingly so. Dr. Dr. Hahn talks about how, how binding it was. He says this, if, if a household leader was kind of, kind of irritated, had just like given up or, or just been so frustrated by the irresponsibility of of the oldest heir of the family, he said it was not unheard of for the father to go out and find a son older than the eldest and to adopt that child. 
And it was so legally binding that the, the transfer of the estate, the transfer of, of that inheritance would then go to the adopted son because the son is apart. Completely apart. And this is the letter to the Romans. This is a letter to the people of Rome who understand the binding nature of adoption. Now, he also said he wouldn't recommend that. Like this, isn't, this isn't prescriptive for us. This is the nature of adoption as he speaks to the Roman people. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And the Spirit testifies to that and agrees with that. What is the result for us as adopted sons and daughters, as people who live life in the Spirit of God? What is the result? With this new relationship with God established by the Spirit, we are made new. We're made new. We are new creations in the Spirit of God, affirmed by the Spirit, who cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. This was unheard of in Roman culture. If you think about uh, the Roman culture and the Roman understanding of, of gods, right? How many of you had to sit through, you know, Roman, Ro- the, talking about Roman gods and Greek gods and you got them confused and who was fighting who and what was this god doing? Man, this was the world. This is the, the understanding that they had of who, who God was. The students down here are like, oh, did, you know, remember that assignment? Remember that? Yeah. The Romans gods were playing chess with humanity, or they were fighting one another. They were messing with humans. They were birthing half-gods, demigods, right, in the human world. The gods were to be feared because they didn't know what was going to happen next. This was not true for the Jewish God. The Hebrew scriptures are, are written without vowels. And so Yahweh in the Old Testament was always spelled Y-H-W-H. All the vowels removed. Okay, um, and, and faithful Jews today even don't pronounce the name Yahweh. Opting for the name or the indescribable name when they talk about Yahweh God. Why? Because they want to hold with such respect and such reverence the name of God, that it's not something to be trifled with, that that that's a powerful name. There's a lesson for us there. Church. I come from the 80s. I remember t-shirts, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. Like, there's this sense of almost being too casual about, about who God is, right? And here we have a writer of scripture saying, when we get to that point, adopted as sons and daughters of God, we get to say, Abba, Father. It's like saying Daddy. Like saying Papa. This close and intimate connection with the Father. A beautiful connection. And yet he concludes with this great revelation Paul doesn't pull any punches. We are joint heirs with Christ. That again reiterates this incredible depth of connection that we have with Christ. Adopted as heirs with Christ. Deeply connected to the family of God. 
but wait just a minute. We like that. that that's the part we like. We're, we're heirs with Christ. How wonderful. But Paul reminds us that this is on the resurrection side of the cross as well. We are heirs not only of the beneficial promises of God in Christ, but we are heirs first of suffering so that we can be glorified with Christ as well. I struggle with that. I struggle with that part. Where, where's my suffering? I have a pretty easy life. I've, I've, I have a friend who says, uh, I, I won the lottery being born in the USA. Because we have a pretty good situation. It's true. I, I'm, I'm also majority culture in just about every way. Where is my suffering? It's hard to find at times. I'm busy. I have lots of to do. There's lots to do on my, on my to-do list and my honey-do list. I like it that way. But how am I heirs with Christ in the suffering that Christ went through? It's caused me to pause. I don't have, a, I don't have an answer for you today. I don't have a good answer for you today. But what I know is that Scripture says this, I am joint heirs with Christ in his suffering so that I may be an heir in his glory as well. I want to be so connected to Christ, drawn into the family of God by this new creation that I am. Scripture says I am a new creation. Scripture says, I also am becoming a new creation. I want to be so drawn into the family of God that, that I get lost on that journey, that I fully enter into the suffering of Christ, that I anguish over those separated from God, feeling the pain of the, the marginalized and the broken. <laughs> we have this idea that if, if we're suffering, we, we must be doing something wrong. And Paul says, nope, that's not the case. <laughs> nope, that's not how it works. Of course, suffering doesn't always mean we're doing it right either. That's, that's illogical. That doesn't follow. What becomes our barometer? How do we know? Are we sons and daughters of Christ? Have we put to death the sarks? And have we dived into this life of the Spirit, the Spirit of God? This is the basis for our Abba relationship with God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up as we close out the service today. We get the privilege of celebrating this connection with God today in worship by, by gathering at the table Christ has set for us. It, it, it struck me today that there's no, there's no greater connection uh, of, of family time that is more rich and intimate and kind of chaotic at our house than gathering around the table. We, we probably don't do it enough. We lead, we lead busy lives. Maybe you can relate to that. But there's this connection when we gather at table, when we break bread together, when we, when we share the casserole. The casserole starts as, as one big mishmash, Right? And then we each get a piece of it and then it becomes part of us. And that's the imagery that we find at the table of Christ. 
For we are invited to the table to gather around and to sit. And our table is wide. For we all share it here. But, but think about the world. Mountain time zone. There have been time zone after time zone after time zone before us for the last 20 hours, maybe 18 hours that have gathered in spaces like this, seated at the table of Christ. They've been offered a piece of bread and a little cup of juice or wine and said, this is the body and blood of Christ. Every time you do this, remember me, Christ says. And we should remember one another. And we should remember faithful people following Christ all around the world that have been doing this for thousands of years. And we are invited to that table as sons and daughters of Christ. That's exciting. That's exciting to me that we participate as the body of Christ today. We are adopted as sons and daughters, church, for he poured out his life. For our, for our sake, that we could have relationship with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time and thank you for all that you do for us. May we begin again to see ourselves as co-heirs with Christ. Heirs in the suffering and heirs in the glory that is to follow. May we live our lives for you as new creations being transformed into your likeness, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. For those who are willing and able, I invite you to stand and to extend your hands as a, as a physical reminder that we receive this benediction today. Now, all glory to God who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or, or imagine by his power at work within us. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and always. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.